Distillery, everyone. My name is Anthony Verneri. And I am John Deck. Uh, each week, we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies and old TV shows. Now, to give you an idea of what we're doing here, John and I are going to take films from our past we haven't watched in a while, talk about what we remember, what might be a little fuzzy, then we're going to go watch the film, and when we're done, we'll come back and see if what we remembered matches up with the movie. And on today's episode, we're going to need a bigger boat because we're going to discuss Jaws from 1975 by director Steven Spielberg. Now, John, what do you remember about Jaws? This is this is one of the more Did loved it. films that we're going to do. <laughs> Did it. Did it, did it. I could go on. That that iconic piece of John Williams' uh, score is amazing to me, even after all these years, because you're essentially building an entire theme off just two notes, and it's gotten into the heads and psyches of everybody. Um, so the the music sticks out to me more than anything else in the whole movie. Just that that one theme, that like all based on the, oh, I love it. It's crazy um, how big of an impact just that, that simple score has on so many people yeah i mean john williams has done it again and again like a million times but here is you know a perfect example of such a simple thing i mean i'm trying to think of other movies that have like hit me in the same way with just one or two notes and probably the closest simple thing would be like from halloween michael myers theme is like has just a very simple tense little thing you can tell the other one I'm a performance artist, so... (laughs) The other one that comes to mind is... Psycho? From Psycho, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's another one that, if you played that to my kid, like, it would evoke that, oh, I know what that's from. And it's amazing, Uh, it's not only knowing what it's from, but getting that tense feeling, that, that uncomfortable, something's coming, this isn't good. Like, it's just really amazing how quickly you slip into that. Exactly. Yeah, what's cool too, thinking about the, this movie as opposed to other ones that we we've done is that, I mean, there's very few people who would like out loud state that this was like a horrible movie. Most people put it like way up on their list as one of the best movies ever, and yet uh, I don't disagree. But it's been a long time since I've watched it, and so while I can remember certain characters and Richard Dreyfuss and like different people who are a part of the movie. Um, and I remember certain bits of scenes, people being freaked out, running out of the water to get back on, on the shore. Get out of the water. Yeah, yeah, like there's just like little bits and pieces, but it really has been a really long time since I've watched this. So I can't wait to see, you know, is this iconic in my mind? Does it hold up? Is it this huge, you know, blockbuster, amazing, one of the best movies of all time? Or am I going to be like, yeah, that shark is made of foam and I'm not even into this anymore. Like. You know what's funny about you saying that is it, it just made me think of Back to the Future 2 where Marty ends up in the future and he's got this big holographic almost billboard for Jaws 19 and he's like, ah, and then the, the shark disappears and it goes, eh, the shark still looks fake. <laughs> like, that, does it really look fake? Are we going to watch this movie and find out, oh, this, this like you said, is a just a big styrofoam prop. And, and maybe um, even more important, uh, will we even care? You know, is the is the acting, is the 
the music, the tenseness, is everything going to build up? I mean, I know, uh, again, this is a, a standard for that idea of having the movie, you know, the monster reveal come late in the movie where you're not inundated with effects and craziness. You're, it's the your imagination's doing a lot of the work. So maybe it's not that important to have this amazing, perfect looking, you know, live shark uh, attacking them. Maybe whatever we see is we're going to help us get invested to the point we need to be. Well, I think it's probably time that we find out you want to jump in and watch this movie yeah i think that's probably the next step uh, we could talk about what we think is going to happen all day long but uh instead we'll we'll on our end here we're going to hop in and uh, i believe it's a netflix so we'll hop on and watch it there uh, all of you listening feel free if you'd like to to pause take a watch and come back with us and we'll we'll go through it and talk about it if it matches up and where we're at cool we'll be right back everybody we just watched jaws in case you weren't here 15 seconds ago when we mentioned that we're gonna jump right into discussing the film because there's a, a bit to unpack and this was this was a lot of fun to watch so this was, this was a shark movie in some ways in some ways if by some ways you mean all the ways uh it is definitely about a giant shark that eats people it does <laughs> eat people we're just going to get right into that part. So this shark is attacking Amity Island. It's a summer town. They, they're they getting ready for the 4th of July celebration. All of a sudden, this shark shows up and just starts killing people. So the chief of the town, Chief Brody, he calls in oceanographic expert to help identify the shark and figure out sort of what's going on there. So we're right now we're dealing with Brody, who is the chief, and then Hooper, who is the scientist and the banter between these two is amazing. I should mention Brody's played by Roy Scheider and Hooper's played by Richard Dreyfus. And I don't know, I didn't do a lot of research into this, John, and maybe you know a little bit better than I do. I don't know what their past is together, uh, Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus from an acting perspective. But well, they I was going to say, oh, from an acting perspective. I yeah. Say- Personally, they grew up on the same farm in Indiana, um, and one of them grew corn and the other grew potatoes, and they're like, potatoes in Indiana, but never mind, you wanted the whole movie background. I don't think they've ever worked together. Which is weird, because they had such a great chemistry like on, I, I know, on camera. I, yeah, I know Spielberg really wanted Dreyfus for the part, I believe, because he liked American Graffiti, but I don't, I don't really know. I mean... Yeah, it was really kind of refreshing because I was pretty much annoyed from the beginning with the whole town that, like, you know, I'm the sheriff and I got to try to keep people safe. Oh, but we're we're a beach town and it's the summer and and that like back and forth. So, you know, Brody doesn't have, uh, you know, someone on his side until until you have Hooper showing up. That constant undercutting from the city council got old really, really quick. I I got. Yeah. so aggravated by that i mean and you could see Brody, the character brody getting like visibly aggravated by it too he's like i have to protect these people i've only been here for a year and you guys are, are trying to stop me from doing my job so him bringing in hooper and the fact that they just they clicked so well was really fun to watch 
and seeing them go back and forth and there's sort of banter and stuff like that like that was that was great they they were fast friends from what i saw yeah in fact the main three i'd say at least when we get out of town into the part where the movie gets good in my opinion um <laughs> It, like th- their chemistry, like I, I did not recall how well they played off of each other. Um, it was something that, um, and, and even you know, you you talk a little bit about Hooper and Brody, and I'm gonna talk about Quint because for for me, he was kind of the revelation in the movie for me this time around. And I think at some point when I had watched this, maybe not the first time when I was a little kid, but at some point during a rewatch. I still, I think he just fell into that category of like, quote unquote, kind of good guy that you don't actually want to be around or alive anymore. And, and, uh, you know, so it's like, he's on that verge of, of just being someone who's causing too much trouble and you just kind of want him out of the picture. So when he (laughs) finally dies, it's not a big deal. But this time around, it's like, I was, I was having a lot of fun and, you know, we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit here, but I, I think he, he has definitely, in my opinion, the best scene from the whole entire movie. Oh, I agree. And and we will get into that uh, because we're, we're actually going to talk quite a bit about that. The longer sort of act with with Quint and, and Hooper and Brody. So. so I'm talking about when he's singing, of course. Yes. Yeah. So many languages. Mm hmm. He, so. he's, he's multilingual. He. No, I don't know. We get back to the, the beginning. You know, we have. We have the kids and they're out and they're a bunch of hippies at the beach and they're mm-hmm. going to go swimming. They get eaten up and then all the chaos in the town ensues and all that political garbage. And I don't know it's if it's Fourth of July weekend. Yeah. And it's it's I don't know if it's the current political climate that just sets me on edge where everything just makes me roll my eyes and go, I hate all of this. But like instantly, just from the beginning, I was like, I just I almost wanted to fast forward. If, if I wasn't watching for this podcast i probably would have just wanted to skip ahead you know a half hour just to get past all that garbage because i just didn't care right i i I agree with that we especially today when you when you have and i'm not going to get on a soapbox here but you have companies that are more interested in profits than they are in in the people in their community uh it it sort of rang that bell it's and it's funny how it transcends 40 years almost 45 years on to do that but that definitely that rang with me. I want to talk about a little a little later on after Hooper shows up. He's he's gone to Brody and said, "Hey, I think we're dealing with something bigger than the this smaller shark that we thought that it was, this tiger shark." And that we get to what I'm calling the night hunt, where they go out on Hooper's super fancy boat with all kinds of of for the time high tech gadgetry, yeah, searching for the shark. And they come upon one of the fishing boats that went out to hunt for the shark that had attacked now two people, the teenage girl and the the younger boy. Hooper gets into his his wetsuit and his all of his gear, uh, or not all of his gear. He didn't have the tank on, but he you know he was diving down. He wanted to see the underside of the boat, and he finds the shark tooth, which I'm like, okay. And I, this scene, I did not remember. <laughs> at all but he finds a shark tooth and then all of a sudden i damn near jumped out of my skin because (laughs) the owner of the boat the dead owner of the boat missing an eye just all of a sudden pops out of the hole on the underside of the hull and scares the hell out of hooper scares the hell out of me scares the hell out of probably half the audience that watched this film that's got to be the the biggest jump scare not involving of shark in the movie 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and for, for honestly, for me, probably a bigger jump scare than any involving a yeah. shark in the movie. Like I, I almost shit my pants. <laughs> it was that. It was that big. I um, remained in full control. Well, we we yep. were not all so lucky. But yeah, that that was a. It's just unexpected. I think is why it was just you know like you're you're getting set up for the idea of it's going to come down to this you know them versus shark that if a if a threat's going to come your imagine is going to come swimming in and not already be there right exactly so let's uh we'll we'll flash forward a little bit it's 4th of July and they open up the beach uh, against anybody's better judgment shark fins show up uh, and it turns out it's, it's just a couple kids who are trying to be funny and they they scare everybody but in the meantime it creates enough of, of a distraction for the real shark to show up and attack a boat, uh, or rather two boats, one with just a, a single occupant who's rowing it, and then the other boat with Brody's oldest son and his friends. Now this this scene had one of, in my opinion, one of the best shots of the shark becoming a threat, like in my opinion, like, and I don't know if it's just because it was, you know, vulnerable and or they were vulnerable and it was heading into the pond as they called it, but it was that, him, you know, uh, Brody running and the shark just like just skimming the surface of the water, but moving really fast right towards them. And it was just that that feeling where it was far away, a wide shot. But at the same time, there wasn't going to be like a jump scare. The shark wasn't going to swim out from behind a door. You know, it's right there heading right towards him. Very inevitable. And it was like, oh, man, he's going to eat a bunch of kids. Well, and you have that. And then it's a combination of that, I think. And the fact that this is the first time that we really get a good look at the size of this shark like, yeah. and, and and with scale. Because you see the shark when he attacks the, I don't know, seven or eight-year-old boy who's on a floaty in, in very brief and jerky sort of moments, or at least it gives you sort of an idea. But when he's when he first attacks the, the guy in the rowboat, you see the shark in almost its full length against this rowboat with a dude in it knocking over the boat, knocking over the kids. And this is when you first see, oh, wow, this is a huge shark. And that in itself, I think, would instill fear in just about anybody who sees it. I wanted to talk, though, in that same scene about Brody's youngest son. Stupid um, crying, crying baby kid. Right. And and it, not necessarily about him, but this is more movies in general we see scenes in a lot of movies where a very small child, usually a toddler, who can't possibly know that they're in a movie or that they're even an actor, quote unquote, so to speak. What do they do to these kids to make them so scared <laughs> and and cry? And are, are they traumatized by what happens? Like, is this how, how do they how do they get that going? Because you can't just tell a kid on command to cry no. and make it believable. I don't I don't have any kids, but I can tell you something I know about kids is that they're it's really they're really good at like doing whatever you tell them to do. So I imagine it's just a matter of going to this like two and a half year old and just explaining logically what you want out of them. And then they just deliver. It's the adults that are all problematic. They're like, no, I want a trailer and like Sprite and stuff. And they have all these demands. But um, it's it's the kids. They're pure actors and they do whatever you want and they never screw things up. And that's I think that's what we see here with this kid on, on the beach. I mean, so what you're, what you're saying is until you're old enough to have a writer, you you just do whatever you're told. 
undoubtedly. I mean, again, I've not experienced this firsthand, but it just makes sense to me. And I mean, I've said I've seen kids crying at the mall and stuff like that. They're probably actors and they're probably filming a movie and I don't know about it. And (laughs) it's again, if you want, it's just all logical. It's just coming from, you know, an observational perspective that we we see here. In fact, you know, one could argue it's a lot more impressive that they got like Richard Dreyfuss acting well as opposed to this kid, because what's his motivation? You know, he doesn't understand money. I mean, the kid, you know, so it's like, what's the point? You know, why? Why? I'd say this is the purest form of art we're ever going to see in a movie is having a little kid crying on the beach. He's not going to get any money for it. His parents are going to get all the money. He's not going to get any fame. He's going to grow up and look different. Like this is just for the love of the art. Wow. Children are the truest artists. Incredible. some might even say that they are our future. Should uh, teach them it, well? Yes, yeah. And maybe we should let them lead the way. And and if we do that, then I think there's no way we're going to get into like the drug problems that we're having in this country right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so speaking of drug problems, so yeah, so the the kids crying, and ultimately it's one of those rare instances in this movie where the you know the kids involved aren't devoured but that does lead to uh, us finally segueing to the good part of the movie uh which is where they're like okay that's it now you made it personal you went after my kid now it's time to go out and kill you yeah so brody he he corners the mayor in the hospital and says you need to sign this and fun Quint so that he will go out and hunt down this the shark and kill it, which the mayor does. And then we cut to Brody and Hooper negotiating with Quint and saying, hey, this is we got you what you want. Let's go. And Quint says, all right, let's do it. Uh, and they they negotiate themselves onto the boat, which is, as you said, this is by far the greatest sequence of events in the entire film. For me, it's. It, it sort of evokes the most emotion. It, it, it shows you the depth of these characters. It shows you the, the talent that you really have in this film. And we talked about chemistry before. The chemistry between Brody and Hooper and Quint is incredible. Um, well, and I think it starts off it starts off enjoyable. Like I wouldn't even say that you'd even notice what's going on at first, except the kind of the, the banter and the back and forth and, you know, who, you know, like you got Hooper and Brody who kind of look at each other and half roll their eyes at Quentin, you know, like this whole like, what are we getting ourselves into? Wah, wah, wah. You know, it's like it starts off a little like this is wacky. And as they actually get out on the water and they start to find themselves in their, you know, newly established roles as captain and pilot of the boat and chummer uh, and like they start to. <laughs> find out that they don't have the same understanding and control that maybe they thought they would. And that's that hierarchy gets put in play. And then you start to get dip into a little their, their personalities. And after they go through everything and, and tag the shark the, the first time with the, the barrel, and then they end up having to wait into the night. And I, I think this, this is like pretty much the, the ultimate scene in the movie that we're leading into, which is in the galley. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. that, that moment, like I just, it, it's it was totally unexpected. I had no recollection of it. It wasn't anything I even had on my mind. But when Quint starts telling that story about, you know, 
after, the USS after the silliness. Yeah, yeah. After all the silliness of the scars, comparing scars to all this stuff, like it's just okay, where we are, and then he like leads into the story, and it's just like ah, I. I'm at a loss for for words for you know you want to say like oh it's like Shakespeare but it's like it it just it turned everything on its head in terms of expectations of who these people were and what we were going to see out of them like this was not I mean there's a lot of movies that you give some kind of soliloquy to some actor when it's supposed to be an important moment and quite often they're kind of boring and you just kind of get through them and you get back to the action but this was an insanely intense. Well, and it it's not like it's a very brief part of the film. This goes on for minutes. Yeah. Quint telling the story about being part of the bombing of Hiroshima and they're on their way back and there it was a secret mission and they were stuck on the water for days. And the, he was graphic and he was as eloquent as he is at any point in the movie. And as long-winded as he is at any point in the movie, but you're never, you never get to a point in that minutes long. And we're, we're talking three, four five minutes where he's talking where you're going, okay, this needs to end. There's that never happens. It's, it's just like the opposite of every conversation that happens on the Island. <laughs> uh, precisely. You just, you have this moment where you have, Brody locked in and Hooper locked in and they're giving the floor to Quint and he's telling his story and you're locked in too. And it's, it's, it's an incredible moment and something that rarely I feel happens in films before or since, like you don't really get those sorts of moments very often in a movie. You could feel the Paul, you can feel the emotion in that galley. And not only is the moment amazing, but in just a matter of minutes, you take Quint from this caricature of, you know, a drunken salty fisherman, fisherman, yeah, like, and all of a sudden, he's got PTSD, and he's seen things, man, you know, like, he's, he's seen hundreds and hundreds of his friends uh, and his brothers being devoured by sharks, like, I mean, the reason he's crazy and hunting and doing all these things is not just because he's quirky, you know, it's revenge and it's taken a hold of his mind and it's all that he lives for. You know, it's like it everything about him has shifted from being this really kind of weird comic relief character to someone who is dangerous. Yeah, I agree. So that leads us right into uh, the shark. Uh, sorry, well, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on that for a second. That leads us into singing. Wait, 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 wait. There's a shark in this movie? I, I, it, I, I. Neglected to mention it, the movie barely touches on it. So to lighten the mood, uh, we get into like a little bit of singing. Quint starts in on his song about the Spanish woman. And then Hooper, because he doesn't know the song and can't be bothered to learn the lyrics, goes into show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to yeah, go to I'm bed. Not, I'm not going to join in. No, I, I, and I don't need you to. I'm just <laughs> I'm painting a picture for the audience. They, they get into this whole long, drunken sing-along, and a, a minute or so in, the shark starts to attack the boat. You see the the barrel come up. He goes after the boat. And I, I wanted to talk for a second, now that we're talking, now we're, we're on this about lighting. Mm. Back back then, back before sort of the advent of, of special, sp- special effects. No, not electricity. Oh, okay. 
special effects and and com- you know computer animation and things like that. Like you had to use practical effects, and sometimes that meant shooting at a time that wasn't the time that you claimed it to be. Yeah. In this case, it's supposed to be the middle of the night, and you can sort of see that due to filters on the lens and and all that they're they're shooting during the day whether it be late at night or early in the morning you can see that it's it's daytime there's a glare off of the the water from the sun but they they sort of add these things in like shooting stars if you pay attention to there's one shot of brody uh with the the bridge of the the boat behind him and you can see like a shooting star go off in the distance yeah you oh one other thing I, i completely forgot you were talking about earlier in the show how Quint was this guy who you were sort of tired of all of his crap or whatever, and like you, you almost wanted him to to kick off, but he was also sort of the comic relief. He's he really is sort of an antihero if you yeah. think about it. He he, you you feel for him, but at the same time you also kind of feel like you could do without him. And it's weird. I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I've seen other examples of such characters. But again, younger viewings, I never thought of him remotely in that way on any level. He was always disposable to me in my younger viewings. Like he was ancillary to everything. He just was there. He had a boat, but he wasn't really important or a part of anything. But this time around, he just he definitely is, you know, one third of that trio. Oh, for sure. And and he he definitely carries weight on the screen. So until he's that, eaten up. Uh, until he's eaten up, which we're about to get into here. We're getting <laughs> into what I've dubbed the boss fight. So this shark is attacking the boat, busting up boards on the hull and giving them uh, giving them what for, so to speak. And the the engine gets busted up. Uh, they, they can't really go anywhere at one point. They have to work on the engine. Uh, the barrels pop up and uh, Brody's like, oh, the shark is back. We got to, you know, we got to get after it. And Hooper has an idea at one point because he brought all this high-tech equipment with him. Oh, let's drop my shark cage in. I'll just poison the shark with this shark poison that I brought. And so they drop him in in his shark cage. The shark busts up the shark cage. And as far as Quint and Brody are concerned, not the audience because we watch what happens, they pull up the shark cage and Hooper's not there. So Hooper's presumed dead. Meanwhile, he's dived down to a point where the shark can't see him. He's done a smart thing. Yeah, he's waiting this out. Now, he's something played. interesting. I know one. I know one or two minor little trivia things about the movie, and um, I do know that. Uh, gosh, I'm blanking on their names, but there were a couple oceanographer, video videographer types who were brought on to like film live sharks for the movie. And the problem is, is that they were only getting footage of. Uh, sharks that were about 14 feet long or so and that totally blew you know obviously that's almost you know half the size of good old bruce uh the big old jaws fella so they hired a little person someone of small stature uh to be in that shark cage because uh, they tried like mannequins and they tried like small you know scaled down size and it just looked fake so that isn't actually Dreyfus or his appropriate stuntman uh, in the cage. It's a, a little person who they brought in to make the shark look much larger when it came up near the cage. Really? And that they were filming some practice, not practice footage, but like test footage. And one of the scenes, one of the sharks accidentally got its mouth or its face kind of caught in the edge of the cage. And it 
sharks, I guess, freak out when they get like touched or pinned down in any way. So it started thrashing around. And that's the scene in the movie where he looks like he's chewing into the cage and trying to get at him. But that's really just a freaked out shark that accidentally got caught in the cage during a test footage. Wow, I had no idea. Peter so, would have had a field day with that. I know. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's a secret. So Hooper's presumed dead. We're left with Quint and Brody on the boat to figure out how to take the shark down. The shark ends up on the back of the boat, jumps up onto the back of the boat, and is so heavy. We're talking about like a three-ton shark. Uh, weighs down that back end, and Quint slides down in the uh, the very famous scene, uh, ends up in the shark's mouth, and is killed. So all that's left now is Brody on a sinking ship. He has one air tank left, and in desperation throws it into the shark's mouth. Uh, the shark takes off, and long story short, Brody's hanging off the one of the masts, and fires a shot into the air tank in the shark's mouth, and we have a shark exploding, which is a very nice scene. Yeah, it was it was delightful. I had a lot of fun <laughs> watching shark bits rain down on the water. Yeah, I mean, one thing they were not shy about in this movie is inserting blood into the water at times, whether it be subtle or not so subtle. And you know, that's this is again one of those scenes where the the carcass of the sinking jaws is just just. <sighs> going crazy blood pouring out everywhere oh yeah i mean and, and you have a great underwater shot too of just the entire uh the entire oceanscape going red and it's uh, like they just want to avoid that thing where in horror movies where it's like oh i think we killed them and oh i'm totally cool which i don't remember a lot about the jaws sequels either but i gotta imagine in at least one or two of them there's got to be a scene where they thought they killed the shark and then it comes back right and, and this one when they do that final blow it's gone oh yeah there's there's no doubt in your mind that that shark is dead and that's basically it um, and then hooper shows up and then they they kid, kitty paddle not kitty paddle but like it's like they're on little floaties that remind me of a kid in a pool where you just like hold on a little kick yeah like a little kickboard they uh they they lash some of those barrels to a board and, and paddle ashore and roll credits this uh this whole movie is just a hard recommend for me you you if you're looking for a, a great way to spend a couple of hours this is one way to do it see i'm not sure if i can re- recommend it as heartily as you really yeah <laughs> because i mean it, it feels to me number one if we take it you know within the context of history and and, and when it was made and and all that i think it's important whether you like it or not to watch it um, take it in, see see what all the hype's about, and understand and see some really good things happening in filmmaking. But in terms of just the joy that I got from this movie, from the the excitement, the things that made me feel good and happy, it was such a relatively small percentage of the time and investment I put into watching it that it just feels like I I'm not gonna say it wasn't good, but I was. I was a little underwhelmed at times, especially the whole first hour of the movie. I mean, it's a two-hour movie, and half of it I was almost annoyed with. And so it's hard for me to like go all in and be super excited about it. Um, I absolutely recommend anyone who's never seen it before to watch it. But like I said, it's more for the the, the context of history of understanding this is a a piece of you know, movie-making uh, legendary that should be taken in and appreciated for what it was. 
But right now, I'm just not so sure. That's interesting. I I didn't feel annoyed with the movie itself or, or with the first hour of it. What I really felt annoyed with were characters and, and the mm. sort of half the town or most of the town going against what Brody was either recommending or outright demanding. Uh, closing the beach and uh, calling in more uh, more deputies, call, even calling in the Coast Guard at one point. Like they, they were all against him. I was more annoyed with them and sort of feeling a relation to Brody and even Hooper at some points. Like they, they seem to be the only two or two of the only people with any sort of sense. You know what I mean? Like to say, yeah, it's, I I feel the exact same way. And yet for me uh, and, you know, and again, full disclosure, I probably only slept about four hours in the last three days. So maybe (laughs) I was, maybe I was a little sleep deprived, a little cranky, whatever it might be, but I was just annoyed. I was like, okay, come on, get over it. Let's, let's, Let's move on. We know something's going to snap because you guys are idiots. And, and of course, that's what happened. Oh, um, that, that's fair. So, it, let's, so, so just getting back to some of the, the good stuff that, you know, that we really did love and latch on to. Because I don't want to get too negative because I'm not trying to be controversial and say Jaws is a bad movie. Um, I just don't have that effervescent, enthusiastic endorsement. But talking about good things, we both, I think, have already established that that scene, the the USS Indianapolis story, um, was that your favorite part of the movie? It's it's definitely up there. It might be my favorite part of the movie, or, or not not necessarily just that story, but that whole galley scene. I think mm, yeah. was was probably the standout part of the film for me. It's certainly where you get the most development. It's where you get the most camaraderie building between the three of them. That I think stood out the most to me and was the most fun to watch for sure. Yeah, that for me it was absolutely like I don't know out of context how much weight it would have, but I almost say if you can get a cut of this on YouTube where you'll watch just you know nine minutes of the movie, those would be the nine minutes I recommend. You know where you don't even have a shark, um, and that's what's the most memorable to me and the the, the scene, the scenes or whatever you want to call it, that whole segment, that transition into these people becoming full-fledged characters with real stories and just so captivating. So, that yeah, that was definitely my favorite part. I have sort of an off-the-wall question for you. Uh-oh. Which shark would win in a fight, the the shark from Jaws or the shark from Deep Blue Sea? See, I have a very good answer for this, I think. It'd be the shark from Deep Blue Sea. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. It would be Jaws, and this is why. Jaws in this movie is clearly has certain benefits that other sharks don't have. For example, he can move backwards. Sharks normally can't move backwards, but this stupid shark kept moving backwards in scenes <laughs> and it was driving me insane. I know I got to just let it go. Not only because this was made 410 years ago and you know, the shark was made of foam and uh, it's on a rig or whatever, but it's like, Sharks just, they don't swim up to a boat, bite at it, and then swim, or, you know, go straight backwards and come back and attack in. That drove me nuts. But in the context of taking on another cinematic rival, you know, he's got moves. He's probably got other moves, hydraulic things going on. We don't even understand. He can probably barrel roll. I mean, he's <laughs> pr- there's a lot of things that I think we would uncover in that type of a shark versus shark scenario. But what do you think? Well, I, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think that the... The shark from Jaws would have taken out the shark from Deep Blue Sea, although maybe not for all the same reasons. If we're talking about 
real sharks. I I almost felt like this this shark in Jaws was more cold, more calculating. It, it almost had yeah. uh, like a, a, a self-awareness factor to it that made it as deadly as it was. I did and, kind of, I was digging that, that it leaned a little more into horror in that way, that it, it, it wasn't just a crazy, huge, wild animal that was going to attack things around it because it wanted to eat. I mean, there were one or two moments where, especially after they tag it with the barrels and it's like, it's going out of its way to like hide and like to, to throw off the rhythm of what they're doing and to slam into the side of the boat underwater. It's like, it's deliberately slowly taking apart this boat to get at them. It's like, that's not how a wild animal would, you know, would go about this. It was very, very cold and calculated. So yeah, that was pretty, that had a bit of an impact. I think. I I completely agree. So I'm going to ask one more question. And I think we're going to start wrapping this up. Does the shark really look like a big styrofoam rig or (laughs) did they, did they do a good enough job of making the shark look real? So here, here you got to qualify it, I think, because are you asking me in the scope of history to look back and, and understand this movie was made in, what, like 74 or so? Like, like whenever, you know, it came out, I think it's 75. So, yeah, so essentially right around the era where I didn't exist yet, they were putting this shark together piece by piece. And, like... For what they had at that time, working with it, I think it was pretty impressive. But if the question is now, in 2019, watching it, do I go, wow, that looks just like a real shark? The answer is no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it looks like a, a pretty decent prop that someone made in high school. I, I I probably wouldn't say high school. I would say that they, they did good for what they had. The The practical effects in this movie, which is all that they had essentially they did really well on i i thought yes the shark still looks fake like if you look at it especially through 2019 eyes that shark is totally fake but i think through 1975 eyes uh, the the average moviegoer would go wow that's uh, that's a pretty mean looking shark i mean i don't know if this is a reference that you'll pull in or not uh if you'll reel it in when i throw it out to you but um, I'm thinking about a certain uh, small hammerhead shark from the movie Joe versus the Volcano during a fishing scene they have. I don't know if that rings any bells for you. It doesn't. I, I mean, I've it, seen Joe, Joe versus the Volcano, but like most of the <laughs> movies that we're going to have on this show, not in many, many years. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the ones that I've seen many, many times. But they have a, a fun little scene where music's playing and they're going fishing and then just wacky all of a sudden they like reel in this like hammerhead shark that at, at best looks like some sort of uh you know creature from a muppet movie but it just <laughs> was it had googly eyes and everything i mean it was and i think it was supposed to be humorous i don't think you were supposed to believe they really caught a shark but it, it teeters on that line i'm just gonna say this jaws does a better job of looking like an actual shark than, than that shark <laughs> okay that's fair. Well, cool. That was Jaws, everybody. Uh, again, you know what? Let me. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just thought of one other thing that I meant to mention only because I brought it up when we first started, which is you know we touched on the the music, the theme music. Oh yes, um, and just how that was something that you know we stood out. That's remembered. That's great. And I find that I actually have two different thoughts on that. Like I absolutely love the traditional Jaws theme music, but I found almost a little to be a little distracted by the rest of the music that went on during 
several of the other scenes, it was so lighthearted and frolicky that it almost like kind of took the tone away from the serious, especially when they're out on the water. Like I when meant to in, bring that up too. <laughs> they're encountering the shark and it's all, it's all creeping. Yes, perfect and tense. And then the second he goes into water, it's like, it was, all, it was almost victorious, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's like, what? Why is this happening? And like many people say, this is like one of the best scores ever. And it won an Academy Award and everything, but it's like, it was great for certain parts and other parts. It just seemed a little out of place. A little bit. I can, I, I can definitely get behind that statement. That that was, yeah, it was almost distracting, like you said. All right. So then you had your last question about the shark. My last question before we head out is, I'm putting you on the spot here, but in in, in the the plethora of wonderful Steven Spielberg movies, where does Jaws fall for you? Oh man, near the top. I will say top ten, maybe not top five, but top ten. What's amazing to me, and the tiny bit of research I did, because I'm not a very prepared person, but I did check out a few things. In many, many various internet lists, it's number one. Like, uh, better than I, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Better no. than E.T. Better than Schindler's List. Better, Like, it's number one. And I'm like, there's no way it would ever be one. I couldn't. No, absolutely yeah. not. I'm really glad because I would probably never do this podcast again with you if you're like, yeah, it might be, it might be number one. It might be the best ever. It's like, I just no. Kind of... All right. No, well, no. I mean, it's, it's above uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but uh, it's definitely not above Raiders or Last Crusade or E.T. or Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I, I had to get that off my chest and make sure we're on the same page. Absolutely. We can continue the show, everyone. We're going to continue <sighs> making episodes due to my good judgment. Uh, that is our show, everyone. Please make sure to subscribe to us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'll be releasing new episodes every Monday, so stay tuned each week as we distill another favorite from our past. And next week, we're watching Stripes. And just so you know, the music in our podcast that you've been listening to comes from the song Destroying the Evidence by Semaphore. You should check them out. Um, got some good music in there that I think you really dig. Also, uh, you can email us questions, comments, requests about what we should do, what you like, show notes, or just say hi uh, to the memory distillery at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tweet us at TMBPod. Thanks again for listening. I'm John Beck. And I'm Anthony Vernary, and this has been the Memory Distillery. Enjoy.